The biggest misnomer that people have is they think that life is all about an end product. You know, when I get to a certain, I'll call it an outcome or a way station, when I get to be perfectly built or I get the body of an Adonis or I have the fastest growing company or my million dollar income or my big house or my hot wife or girlfriend or my stable of exotic cars or whatever, that's going to transform me and nirvana is going to prevail and happiness will, you know, rain down and everything will be hunky-dory and euphoria will prevail and it's illusory. That's not true. All that life is, is the process. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the rucker paw. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring that Welcome to episode number 276 of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success I am your host, Matt Labrie, and we are joined today by an absolute living legend Seriously, a living legend. Our friend Jay Abraham is joining the show. Now, if you dabble in the realm of business, you know Jay, plain and simple. And if there's that very, very, very slim chance you don't know Jay, the people you do know know Jay. And while that's a bit of a tongue twister, it's safe to say someone like Jay doesn't really need an intro. Also, oftentimes, just putting this out there, people believe that Jay's interviews are all about business. But I want you to know we're going much deeper than that today. In fact, in this episode, we're going to be diving into what progress truly is, redefining it for ourselves, or better yet, reshaping what it looks like in our life, how to identify progress, right, on a day-to-day basis. Again, not just in business, but in our relationships, intimate or not, in our health, physically, in the gym per se. Or how about with a podcast, and we're going to use myself as the guinea pig. We're also going to be talking about, of course, the business aspects of Jay's brilliance. For example, we're going to be talking about how to not let emotions win in business, who and how to win in the future. As we see AI emerging like no other, there's all of these tools now to edit videos and to get titles for this, that, the other. It's incredible. But who's going to win and how are they going to win in the future? Jay reveals that right here in this episode and honestly so much more. But before diving in, you might have heard me say something in the past along the lines of, there's a reason you're tuned into this episode. This podcast, right this second. And that stands true. But I want to let you know that there was a reason Jay and I had this conversation. And of course, that reason, or one of the reasons, is because we are trying to make an impact day in and day out with this show. But furthermore, I fall into this bucket of divine guidance as well. And I truly, truly, personally needed to hear the refreshing wisdom from Jay on the topic of progress. Like, I'm telling you, I needed that. And I know you do too. There's so many people who need to hear it. Maybe it's you or maybe you need something else within this, but you are here and we're super excited to have you diving into this episode. And as always, we appreciate you in advance for sharing these episodes with the people in your life, whether that be on social media, like your Instagram story or your Twitter feed or directly via text, because they too can benefit, grow, transform and evolve just like you and I. Now, without further ado, we bring to you our friend, the living legend, Jay Abraham. What did you do when you worked for Damon? So there's a long story to this. I'm going to try and give you the short version, but I met Damon while I was in college on my college campus. I went to your college, which is in Jamaica, Queens. 
right next to his hometown. So pretty okay. much right by JFK. Yeah. And one of three students to meet him. I was the last person to shake his hand before he went on stage to do his fireside chat for Power of Broke. And I said, Damon, I'm going to work for you. He looked at me like I had 10 freaking heads because... I mean, I was just an arrogant, you know, kid that was just putting it out there. Lo and behold, I owned a hospitality business for seven years while in college, paying my way through it. Yeah. And one of the people I worked with in the past worked with Damon, a gentleman named George Barnes, who ended up getting me an interview or allowing me to get my foot in the door. One thing led to another internship into a job. And essentially, I was running all of Damon's content, digital brand, book launches, all of that good stuff. So it was fun. It was definitely fun. I I left a little prematurely. I have to be honest about that. Well, I mean, you know, he's in his own now. He's, uh, God bless him, he's done well. And they've made a couple of investments that really paid off. His socks investment really killed it. Bombas, I can't wear any other freaking socks. Have you had a pair? I have not, but I hear that the value of the business is off the charts. We actually had Dave, uh, one of the co-founders on the show, and I'm telling their product, nice I mean, guy. great guy. And I think that I'm, I'm sure you could attest to it. Just very humble. Very, very humble, you know, and he he's all about it's appreciated, you know, when you can connect with someone that has so, just like yourself, very humble. You're, you've came in here so curious. It's so appreciated. But he's a great guy. I've appreciated him. Good. All right. Well, if we're going to have free form, I think my voice is better. Let's do it. I'm all for it. Ask anything you want, Matt. And I am putty in your hand. P-I-Y-H. My first question for you, Jay, is this. This is very unconventional. Maybe you've been accessed before. I have to know if you have any Italian because I'm looking at you and you give me mob boss. Yeah. People think that I am Italian. I am from Indianapolis. My heritage is Jewish. My mother's mother's mother, Czechoslovakia. My father's father was from Spain. So I have what's called Sephardic Jewishness. But everyone thinks, you know, I have a little bit of probably an edge to me and a little bit of, I'd like to hope it's a little bit of authority. I'm actually very short and not in the shape I used to be. But I think I, over the years, because of my knowledge base, Matt, probably come across reasonably authoritatively. But no Italian, although my wife is Italian and very much so. She looks very Italian. She doesn't speak Italian, but she loves Italy. But no, no, I come from actually a Jewish background, which is interesting, but my roots would tend to be more Hispanic. When I go to Mexico, which we go to many times, if I sit in the sun a lot and I come back through customs, they start talking Spanish to me, thinking that I'm actually a Mexican national until they see my passport. Very interesting. (laughs) I have to ask you this. Without being insensitive to those that may have been hurt by this, I'm really curious to learn from a business perspective. What do you think, to your knowledge at least, what do you think the mob did right in business? Well, they were very organized. You know, if you take the, you know, the heinousness of what they did, they had enormous compliance. I mean, people didn't screw it. They didn't F around at all. They had a great hierarchy. People worked their way up you know, probably through brutality or other things. Some of them were, I mean, I've known in my life unintentionally a number of sociopaths, and I'm not saying the mob was sociopathic, but some of the most brightest people in the world go to the dark side. And I think whoever, or like, you know, Meyer Lansky years ago, they said he was brilliant and he orchestrated all the finances and everything. You know, if you think about it, the ability to figure out how to game a system masterfully is discussed 
disgusting, but I mean, it's like a dichotomy. You know, it's fascinating to have that kind of intellect to figure it all out and then to be unflinchable. I was watching a movie coincidentally last night called The Ice Man, and it was about some hitman, real guy that hit like 100 people. He killed 100 people for the mobs. Various, he was, he was sort of goes to different people he would work for. And he was impervious. He didn't feel anything. And you go, that's amazing to be able to be that way. And and some of the brutality was really horrible, but the discipline was pretty remarkable, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, my wife watches all these stories about different civilizations, Rome, Greek, Persian, Egyptians, all these different, you know, Aztec, all these different Spanish. I mean, when you think about organizational mastery, it really requires a lot to keep anything going, any system going. And everything is a system, Matt, if you think about it, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, uh, there was a guy that, and I can't remember his name. He's now supposedly gone to the good side, but he was the former mob guy who orchestrated all these like billions of dollars of gasoline scams and went to jail, came out and became a minister or something. And I talked to him a while because we were going to do something with him just to interview him. And interesting man, very disciplined mind. I mean, they operate very intelligent people, even though you see them gruff and, and you know, with, you know, New Jersey draws and things like that. Very bright people. But the ability to orchestrate, you know, you know, some of these really intricate systems is really fascinating and keep it disciplined and keep alignment. But then you see also envy permeated that the hardest thing of any system is constant compliance because people always want to buck the system. They don't want to progress through normalcy. They want to. That's why there's LinkedIn, isn't it? Because nobody wants their job. They want to get a better job. And it's the equivalent of LinkedIn in crime because everybody doesn't want to go, I don't want to be a soldier and then slowly be a whatever, a capo or whatever the rhetoric is. I want to be the number one guy. So I'm going to kill you or I'm going to start my own or I'm going to go from numbers to drugs or whatever. It's very interesting when you look at it. But I mean, that's just a knee jerk response. Absolutely. You mentioned how Iceman was essentially, he didn't feel anything, right? And I'm curious to learn how to manage emotions in business, right? I think that was actually one of the biggest takeaways I got while working with Damon. In fact, he said to me once after a meeting where I was sitting with, you know, the president of the company on one side of the table and another individual was across the table and we were essentially seeing things differently. And I looked at Damon and I'm just like, how are you not emotionless, but how is this not bothering you? And And he said, Matt, business is in brain surgery. I think that there's a very fine line. Everything is, you know, it could go either way. I think you need enough empathic appreciation for what it's like on the other side, because there's always another side. The other side can be a negotiation. The other side can be, you know, an interaction with a team member. The other side can be a vendor. The other side can be a prospective buyer. But there's always a different reality going on and different values and different motives. And you have to try to empathically appreciate what they are experiencing. But if you give in too much because you're, you know, you're too empathic, then I think that's disadvantageous. And advantage does not have to be 
an unethical construct. It has to be, you want absolute ethical advantage in everything you do. You do not want unethical advantage, but emotion, it can be a great driver, passion, purpose, possibility. I mean, if you don't have passion, which is emotion, you know, directed, hopefully you can have positive passion. You can have negative passion. You can hate somebody and that's passion, but it's not a very healthy one, but you can want to prove yourself to the world. I mean, a lot of people that a lot of the tech people came from, they were dorks and, you know, and nerds and they wanted to prove themselves. And so they had a drive that was unstoppable. I don't know if I'm giving you answers that you want to hear, but I'm just, I've never been asked this question. So it's a good question. No, it's it's appreciated. Without a doubt, you're giving me answers. You, you're giving me a lot of answers here. But I'm curious, you mentioned it's not a question you've been asked. It leads me to ask you this. What is a question you wished you were asked and how would you answer it? Oh, you know, what do I think the meaning of life is? That's a pretty cool okay. question. I've heard you talk about this, though, but I'm curious to see if your answer is still the same. Yeah, I think that the biggest misnomer that people have is they think that life is all about an end product. You know, when okay. I get to a certain, I'll call it an outcome or a way station, when I get to be perfectly built or I get the body of an Adonis or I have the fastest growing company or my million dollar income or my big house or my hot wife or girlfriend or my stable of exotic cars or whatever, that's going to transform me and Nirvana is going to prevail and happiness will you know, rain down and everything will be hunky-dory and euphoria will prevail. And it's illusory. That's not true. All that life is, is the process. This conversation you and I are having is about as good as it gets. And if I enjoy you, which I am, it makes it really worthwhile. If I'm not enjoying you, it gives me pause for reflection afterwards. And I would evaluate what I didn't like about you and what I want to make sure that I avoid in my own conduct. But I just think everything in life is about the process. And I also believe in my heart of hearts that there's no human being, with very little exception. There are, you know, heinous people that are disgusting, but that notwithstanding, the vast majority of human beings up and down the socioeconomic plane, Matt, are all deserve to be treated with relevancy, significance, dignity, respect, mm-hmm. and really admiration because in their own way, their life is as significant, meaningful as anybody else's. And if you understand that, you enjoy everything. Yeah. It's let's break this down a little bit. I've heard this said and I struggle with this, to be honest, Jay, falling in love with the process, right? I mean, before we started recording this, we were talking about the podcast and how I've been doing this for four years. I love this, right? What you and I are doing, the back and forth banter. But to say that I love to not be where I want to be with it, that's hard. Well, but if you recontextualize a reality, if you say, I am making progress towards a goal, and if you recognize that there's a really interesting book that was written, Jesus, 40 years ago, it's a little book, it's called You Too, like Y-O-U squared, Mm -hmm. and it's about the phenomena of exponential explosive growth, and it talks about how things go like this, and then they go like this, and then they go like this. Most people, very, very serious ADD. I'm a poster boy for adult ADD, but let me give you a divergent comment. There's research, Matt, that says that 95 approximate percent of all entrepreneurs never reach their goals. And that's because they really don't have finite, reverse engineered, concrete goals. They have very abstract, aspirational, I guess I would call them hopes and dreams. I want to make a million dollars. I want to retire wealthy. I want to you know, have a fast growing company, but they don't really have a plan on how to get there. If you understand 
that if you were building a house and the first thing you did was was you know grade the land, then you could look and say, "Wow, I'm not making much progress." Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you did was maybe you know put a foundation, and you looked at that slab of ugly concrete, and you'd say, "I'm not making much progress." And then you framed it, and there'd just be this skeletal, this ugly you know just basic skeletal, and you'd say, "I'm not making much progress." And then you put the wiring or the plumbing or whatever they do, and you'd say, "I'm not making much progress." Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden. And when it's all done, you've made a lot of progress, haven't you? But if you don't know where you're trying to get to, you can't really get there. And even if you achieve a modicum of success, it's normally what's called suboptimal because you're not in control. It's controlling you. I mean, if you luck out and just through sheer magnitude of momentum and your force of being, you do well, that's really sad because you could do so much more if you strategically reverse engineered it. But uh, to I think Tony Robbins says something very profound, and he says, you can't be depressed when you're making progress. But I believe that most people don't gauge progress in the right light. Progress is, you know, it can be exponential, but it can also be incremental growth. But I mean, if if last year you told me the numbers that you have watching, visiting, listening, whatever the right denominator is of your podcast, and it's X. But if you looked at it a year ago, it was probably half X, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you kept growing at that kind of a multiplier in a year, if it just increased at the same formulaic, it would be double X and then double X again. And it's like that penny that keeps doubling. And you'd look back at your young age when you're 35 or so, and you would have, you know, half a million viewers, subscribers, and you'd be making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month just on advertising or sponsorships. But, you know, the biggest problem with young people, and you are a young people, of sorts compared to me. It's not impatience, but they don't have a referential frame of how progress normally occurs. Mm. And today, I think there's a lot of instant gratification. Not that you have this. It's a it's a social commentary. I think there's a lot of desire for instant gratification, which I think it defeats achievement because it's very easy to get frustrated prematurely when you're Absolutely. actually making progress. Yeah. I, I will admit to seeking instant gratification without a doubt. And it leads me to ask something I've never asked before, but how do you measure progress daily? Hey everyone, taking a quick pause here as we're on the topic of progress. I know you, a high-performing individual. You sure as hell want the most out of every bucket of life. And when we don't feel like we're progressing to fill up the buckets, whether it be our career in our business, heck, even in dating, relationships, it's very easy for us to lose confidence, to lose motivation, to lose that full steam ahead mentality. But confidence in ourselves is absolutely key to succeeding. Let's look at dating, for example. If you're struggling to find those worthwhile connections or you're heading out on dates and feel absolutely blah after, it can be really difficult to feel your best when meeting new people. So I want to introduce you to my friends over at Talkify. Talkify is the country's number one modern matchmaking service that is designed to help you achieve relationship success. Their trusted compatibility specialist hand-selects successful and compelling candidates so you can date consciously and productively. Here's how it works. The Talkify matchmakers meet with you to learn about what you're looking for in a partner. 
Then they'll select and screen potential match candidates for you, doing background checks, video interviews, and asking the really tough questions that are a little too awkward for first dates. But from there, your matchmaker plans your date introductions and handles all of the communication for you, creating a safe and stress-free dating experience because, let's be real, Dating takes time, but Talkify helps you get your time back. Now, also to add, Talkify is committed to finding your match. 80% of match clients met their person within the first 12 matches. Now, get that. I'll repeat that. 80% of match clients met their person within the first 12 matches. And right now, Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at Talkify.com forward slash DSP. That's T-A-W-K-I-F-Y dot com forward slash DSP for 20% off when you become a client. Head over to the show notes right now. Check them out. Click that pretty little link. Fill in your information and get yourself set up. There are many criteria. I mean, one of the things that I've been blessed and maybe cursed to understand is that there's a myriad of optionality. There's not one answer to any question. It really isn't. So how do you measure progress? Well, what kind of progress are you talking about? How do you measure your business progress, your physical progress, your progress as a human being, your, you know, your worldview progress, your progress as a compassionate, you know, friend or lover? I mean, there's a lot of denominators you could ask that about. I think the key is, am I better today than I was yesterday, or am I better at the end of today than I was at the beginning? And better can mean, do I understand more? Do I have more appreciation? Have I mastered something? Have I put something in motion that is good? Have I learned something from a non-success, not a failure? You know, have I done something that did better than I expected? I mean, there's no wrong answer, but progress is when you grow from any interaction or experience, that's progress. And growth isn't always from a positive experience, really. You progress, you know, if you get your head handed to you because you, you know, I have one of my children was into options trading and he was doing well and well and well, and he got a little too optimistic himself and he blew his whole wad, but he Mm -hmm. learned something from it. Even though he wiped out, he made progress, if that makes sense. Even though he lost his forty or $50,000, he made progress. I've learned about, sir, I've lost millions of dollars in bad business associations, and I learned a criteria to establish for future ones. So I made progress, even though it cost me millions of dollars. I have, when I was younger, I drank a lot, and I was pretty wild, and I realized that didn't get me what I wanted. So I made progress, if that makes sense. That doesn't mean that I had ground, you know, in a rock bottom before I made progress. But I think progress is a very relative term, don't you think? I do. And I I think the thing that I personally struggle with and many others struggle with, and I'm going to try and give you from a metric perspective, Jay, for instance, I'll use this example, right? You go to the gym and you're able to bench press 300 pounds week one, but then week two, you could only get up 250. To me, when I hear that or when I see that, and it's relatable to the podcast, it's relatable to business in numerous different facets. Here's a distinction you may be missing. So that would seem like a setback, but if you have the resiliency, tenacity, perseverance to work through it, that is progress, isn't it? It's just progress for being there, yeah. I do rubber bands in a doorway. That's I used to do 800 pull-ups 
and I used to do 800 dips nonstop. I had a fabulous physique when I was about your age. And now because I've broken down my body, I can only do certain things. And I used to be able to do a thousand and now I can only do 600. And I can look at it two ways. I can look and say, Jesus, I'm doing 400 less. Or I can say, I every day am doing it. I am progressing in a different context. I'm progressing to keep my body as fit as it is capable of being at this moment in time. I think you have to really, a lot of people beat themselves up and it's counterproductive. What do you accomplish by going, ah, not, you know, I had a bad week. My muscles, you know, didn't work or, you know, whatever. And then you could say, okay, I'm out of here. I only did one sixth of what I did before, so I quit. Or you can Mm -hmm. say, okay, Jesus, am I starting from scratch? Am I going to work through it and come back? I'm going to go through the tunnel and it's going to be an adventure. And if that's progress, if you go on an adventure, isn't it? Yeah. But I think it's all how you, it's, I mean, I am very intrigued with semantics and context because everything I think is about semantics and context. What does that mean exactly? Well, I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, when Mazda automobiles first came to the United States, they introduced a model that was supposed to be breakthrough, and it was really broken down. It was called an RX-7, and it had what was called a Wankel rotary motor. It had a triangular shaft, and in the middle was a rotor, and it was supposed to be really evolved, but it leaked oil, and it was underpowered, and it didn't sell well, and Mazda Automobile of America had $50 million at retail of these cars sitting on the docks at L.A. Harbor gathering dust and rust. And a friend of mine was one of the top people in the world at doing barter trades. But he had the idea of going to Mazda and trading them $50 million worth of advertising on TV and radio that they could use to promote the next year's model, which was a much more desirable engine design and style and taking the cars that no one wanted to buy and using them for promotions for radio and TV stations. And he went to the president of Mazda US who came from Japan and he told him his proposition. I'll trade you $50 million of cars. I mean, of advertising, if you trade me your $50 million of unsold cars. And the president said something to the effect of paraphrasing, I'd love to, but I would lose face both with all the people in Detroit and and also all the people in Japan. And he was very gracious, but he he concluded the conversation. My friend got in his car and started driving home and he thought about it and he turned around, he went back, he asked for five more minutes and he said, let me ask you a different question. If I buy your $50 million of cars, will you buy $50 million worth of ads from me? And the guy said, sure. And it was semantic, was perceived. So I think Mm. we don't perceive things in the most constructive way most of the time. I understand that now. It leads me to ask you, I actually want to move backwards a bit because you mentioned how, you know, back in the day you were able to do thousands of dips and pull up and whatnot. I'm really curious to understand your mindset behind accepting what you believe you're capable of doing now with the banded workouts or with anything in life, as opposed to not wanting more. Well, me always want more. I think that I believe progress. If every day or in my case, it's not every day, it's like four times a week. I'm willing to do one half hour nonstop of this, and most people wouldn't do 10 minutes of it. 
Right. I mean, I go through bands literally every couple of weeks because they're designed to do, I look at it relative, they're designed to do about 20 at a time and I do 600 at a time and they get all stretched and they snap. And so I go, well, it's pretty cool that I can do, if you look at that correlation and not necessarily totally accurate, but let's assume it's reasonably accurate. So if it's designed for 20 and I do literally 30 times as many, that's pretty cool. True. I spent... An enormous amount of money on therapy when I was your age and then older and older. And I used to get very frustrated because I did these very expensive seminars. And in the seminar, somebody would come in at ground zero knowledge of my methodology. And then Matt, I would take them like up to here and then they'd go home and they'd come down to about here. Mm -hmm. And that depressed the crap out of me. And I remember very vividly talking to a psychologist about the depression I felt about this drop. And the guy said, you're looking at it totally wrong. You're looking at that instead of celebrating that. You got them to this point, which right. is profound relative to where they started. And I think it's just a fact of it, you can psych yourself out and you can live, you know, there's, I can't remember was Emerson or, or who the, you know, who the author was, but they talked about the lives of quiet desperation. I think sadly, most people live lives of quiet desperation instead of joyous exhilaration. Mm. I think you should celebrate being alive. I mean, you know, there's acts of God. You might have a mental impairment or physical, and that's truly tragic. But other than the 2% that that affects, we all have the ability to be whatever we want. And we can, you know, I always said, if you're unhappy where you are, you have the ability to change. Most people are where they're at because deep down, Matt, that's where they want to be. If you really, and not you, it's rhetorical. If you cared about, you know, having a better body with little exception, you can find many paths to do that. If you felt, if you worried about having a better relationship with a significant other is ways to improve it, to, you know, to jettison it. If you're worried about having a better path to prosperity or professional satisfaction, there's a myriad of ways to do it. But most people would rather lament. I think progress is the key to everything, but it is not defined properly by most people. I want to play devil's advocate to an extent here. It's not to say that I don't believe what you said in regards to everyone could be what they want, but it leads me to ask, why is that true when we need people to be things they don't want to be for the world to function? Well, let me modify my statement. Most people lament. If you look at the mass, uh, let's take our country. I'm not going to take the rest of the world because there are countries that they are relegated to horrible lives and they don't have control. But in this country, in this country, in the United States or North America, whatever within reason you want, you can be or have if you're willing to, I don't even want to say pay the price because that sounds painful. If you're willing to pursue the proper path of attainment. And I believe that, I mean, really, you know, it could be basically that you want to be better respected. Okay. Well, it's funny. I did something very profound a couple of weeks ago. I'm involved in many, many different masterminds. And one of them has a lot of dentists, a lot of high performing dentists, but dentists work very hard and then they get to a certain level and they've got a business that's almost the equivalent of, of perpetual motion. It stays at a very nice and comfortable level. So they don't have to really grow unless they have this driving ambition. And I was telling a story that I have a client who does, he's got a business selling artificial turf and he does, let's call it $15 million. It may be more. And one day 
out of the clear blue, he decided he wanted to learn how to sell art- artificial turf. Excuse my mouth. And so he went on a YouTube and put in how to sell artificial turf or how to go into the artificial turf business. And he found a bunch of videos. He watched them. He did it. It worked. And I had all these dentists that were telling me all the reasons why they were stymied and as far as growth. And one said, well, I don't have an idea how to hire a, you know, an assistant or a COO or a general manager. And I said, okay, stop. Who's got their computer or their iPad open? Okay, go on YouTube and say how to hire A and see how many come up. And we went through every scenario. And the point I'm making is it's so easy to lament what you think you can't do, but depends on how badly you want it, don't you think? Yeah, you are right. Yeah. And I believe that, I mean, I got, I mean, I have zero education and I'm not necessarily the, you know, the greatest bastion of success, but I have no education. I got married the first time at 18. I had two kids at 20. At my first job, I made $243 gross <laughs> and I had to take three buses to get to work because I didn't have a car. And, you know, you start wherever you start. And there's an adage, you play the ball, to go golf phrase, you play it where it lands or where it lies. And mm-hmm. I think most people, they feel you're either in life, in my opinion, and I'm speaking here where you have total optionality. You really do. Doesn't mean it's easy, but life isn't easy. Life, somebody said to me, life isn't always fun and life isn't always fair, but it's always fascinating. And That's interesting. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So it depends on how you see it. It all depends on how you see it. You know, if you have a different lens than anybody else, you're having a good time no matter what's happening. Or you're having as good a time. You know, I woke up Monday morning and I got hit with a $34,000 bill from somebody I didn't realize I owed. Now, you could be very upset about it. It didn't please me, but I thought, wow, <laughs> next time I better make better control of the deals I make with people. And you know, it's so like, it could devastate. State you, you could be angry. Or you learn from it. I miss that word. So I mean, you know, stuff happens. It's life is about. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if we were all Stepford people and we had no control of anything? Yeah, life would be different. Yeah, I mean, people don't realize it. You can be whatever you want if you're willing to, you know, to pursue the right path. We used to do seminars and the question in our marketing was, why do some people have 100 plus times more success and income than others in the same field when they all start about the same way? And we're discounting people who inherited billions. What's the difference? I think it's here. It's your belief system. It's your resiliency. It's your way of viewing the progression, it's reverse engineering it. You have a lot more control, I think. I believe you're either in control or being controlled throughout your life. You're either a victim or a victor in all of life. And it's a mindset. Yeah. So is it a mindset to change our lens? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's trite, but if you look up some of the great phrases of Einstein, they're profound. One of them was, and I'm paraphrasing, but if the strategy you're following isn't delivering the results you want, continuing to do it or doing a lot more of it is the definition of insanity, Mm. isn't it? Yeah. Or 
I'll add to this from a psychological perspective, some might say that it's actually a trauma loop, meaning you don't believe that you actually deserve the success that would come about if you change the strategy. If you don't believe that, I would argue, and I'm not trying to be a, a take no prisoners optimist, but I would argue that you need to understand the fact that almost all of life is illusion, don't you think? It's all how we perceive it. That makes life illusion. What does that mean exactly? I'm just trying to get more clear on that. I think all of life is theater, isn't it? Yeah. We paint our own picture. We, You're the director. You're the screenwriter. You're the actor, aren't you? You're everything. Yeah. And if you decide that the script isn't working, you can produce a lame movie or you can, you know, reshoot it. Absolutely. You have that option. I mean, we always have the option all our lives. Even, I mean, you'll see a lot of, of, and it's quite fascinating, a lot of older adults, when they get into their 70s or so, they might have been just intense, tough, and they mellow out and they get more humanity and humility. And part of it is probably the, you know, the, the awareness of their what would I call it? Just the fact they're getting towards, you know, the latter part of their life. But part of it is I think they reflect and they realize I didn't get me very far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, sometimes it takes a long time to come to reality of that change is within your hands sometimes, you know, and I wish, you know, I never until I got older didn't. I mean, I, I was surrounded by people in investment and I never invested wisely. So you could argue that, but I did when I got older. So, you know, sometimes it's a slower realization. But if you're not getting whatever you want, you always have options. You always have options. Are they are they always easy? No, but they are always achievable. I mean, and that's the old adage, somebody is, you know, 40 and they wish they'd gone to law school or they're 50 and they wish they'd gone to law school. And they said, well, if I were reliving my life, I would want to be an attorney. And they said, well, why don't you go now? Go to night school. Well, I would be 60 when I graduated, okay, well, if you're fortunate enough to live, you're going to be 60 anyhow. What's the difference? And so what holds us back? Hard. Pardon? What holds us back? It's a great question. Let me think of a, I don't want to just give you a, a, a lame answer. It's probably a belief system in a lot of people that it's too abstract or unrealistic of a goal or vision. And I think a lot of things go down to not bringing it down to its lowest common denominator. I mean, you can break almost anything down to simple progressive steps, don't you think? I do. And most people don't have the ability to do that. So they ascribe to themselves a goal that is the, the metaphoric equivalent of wanting to, to learn how to be a pole vaulter and immediately set the Olympic gold medal record the first time out. And when they fail miserably and they flop, they, they don't take their pull and go home. They drop their pull and go home. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, you know, we don't break it into the progression and we don't see progress in a more nuclear sense. Yeah. But that's just an opinion with, I mean, I haven't thought you'd taken me into some interesting areas that I haven't really responded to before. So I don't know if I would say the same answer if you ask me tomorrow, but there's a it's sort of a impromptu answer. Answer. No, it's appreciated. It's definitely appreciated. I, I know I only have you for a few more minutes, Jay. So I want to ask you this. How would my life or someone's life that's listening to this be different if we knew what Jay knows? 
Well, you wouldn't have the limitations. I'm an accidental tourist. I got started, as I said, at 18 and I had no education and I nobody gave me a salary job. I did a lot of things in the beginning. One was, but most of them were just performance-based and I just got paid sort of eat what you kill. The good thing about that was I had no obligation to work eight to five. Nobody cared if I worked a minute, an hour, 12 hours, you know, you know, 24, seven days, nobody cared. They just cared about if I delivered, they'd give me whatever the deal was. And I managed for a very fortuitous way to do many things concurrently, but never in the same field. And after about 10 different industries that I operated in very young, I realized very powerfully that most people don't have a clue what people in one industry do differently. Mindset, strategy, business model, distribution, sales, marketing, advertising. In my career, Matt, I've helped over 1,000 industries, not companies, industries. And when you've looked at that many different, uh, and I've done it on five continents, so I really understand stuff at a very expanded level. When you see how much more is possible from time, effort, opportunity, resources, capital, human capital, intellect intellectual capital, relationship capital, you see so much more possibility. Most people spend their whole life in one or two fields, so they only know what they've experienced or what they read or what they hear superficially at a seminar or or a training course. And most training courses are tactical. I've been very blessed to work on the holistic elements of growing a business. So I would say what I tell everybody is that traveling broadens the mind. Traveling amongst industries broadens the mindset. I try to get people to do things they've never done before. We used to do very large seminars. And after about two days, when people trusted us, I would go back when we had bookstores to bookstores and I'd buy a thousand closeout books that were nonfiction, uh, business or skills or psychology or hobbies or magazines. And I would interview, I'd have my staff interview people. And for example, what's your hobby if you have one, Matt? Biking. Love okay. biking. If we found that you love biking, we might give you a book or a magazine on macrame or cake decorating. And we would send you out for two hours to read two chapters or two articles and come back and report to your table two really fascinating distinctions that you got out of it that, first of all, intrigued you and second, had some adaptability to what you were doing. And everybody did. And I tell people today, you want to learn about life? I mean, our limited reality is only one fraction of what's going on. Uh, If you live in any city that has any kind of a conference hotel on an evening or on a Saturday, Sunday, go there and walk the corridors and you'll see all these different events going on. And if people are gracious, ask if you can sit in and watch and you'll get an education to all the different realities out there. There's a book that was popular, I think, two years ago, more recently. It's called Range, R-A-N-G-E. And it's written by a famous author that had another great book. I don't remember what the first book was. His last name is Epstein. And the premise is that the people that are going to own the future are the ones that have the most range because the issues that we are going to have to deal with in the future are different than the past and hindsight isn't going to be enough. But it's empowering to understand more than anybody else. It's empowering to understand there are more 
optional ways to achieve almost anything you can imagine. And that most people, because they only know one or two, they choose the not the most effective or not the most successful or not the easiest or not the most enjoyable, but the least. And that's tragic. Right. If I didn't have to get you out of here in five minutes, I would ask you this one question. I'm going to ask you, but you don't have to answer just because I know that we're crunched for time here. I would ask you in regards to range. What I have trouble comprehending with this is it's hard to master everything. So how, you know, I guess what I'm getting caught up on is how people tell you to master something. You know, right? there's, a, there's an erroneous. If you look at the quote, master of, you know, whatever. It, I don't have my phone. Why don't you look up that famous quote, master of whatever it is, everything, whatever. There's a great quote, but it's not told in its, in its completeness. There's an epilogue that says it's better than only one thing. So I don't purport that I'm a master of everything, but I have a very comprehensive awareness, understanding, comfort in interacting with almost anybody in almost any field of endeavor or almost, I mean, I've helped, uh, just to give you an example, and it's just clinical, I've helped over 300 A-level experts in my career. None of them came to me, Matt, for help, you know, selling, I mean, help developing their methodology. They had that down pat. They came for help to command more value, to make their methodology stand out, to show people the economic impact or the, the life impact. But in order to do that, they had to give me a compression, distilled, short course primer education. So I got educated in 300 different uh, skill sets, you know, uh, the late Stephen Covey, his son, Stephen M.R. Covey, Tony Robbins, they've all been clients of mine. Brian Tracy, you know, the number one guy in Six Sigma, the number one authority on theory of constraints, the number one authority on how you are heard, tonality and impact, the number one authority on how you are seen, three, number one, two, three authorities on selling. So I've gotten educated. And when you understand a lot more than everyone else, that is the what everybody really wants, whether they verbalize it or not, is advantage. We don't be average. We want to be great. And greatness comes from having advantage over others. Ethical advantage, not unethical. And you don't get advantage by only knowing what everybody else knows, do you? Absolutely. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you one final one, which is a really interesting provocative thought. I think that well, I'll give you two thoughts. I've done work on something called taking your business profits beyond exponential. Everybody talks about the 10x moonshot and all these other things, and that's on top line. But I've done studies, and you probably don't know this. Everyone thinks that the epitome of achievement is exponential. If you're mathematic, which I'm not, but I studied a little bit about it. Mathematically, there are five gradients of performance enhancement above and beyond exponential. It's called hyper-operationalizing. Now you have some fun to talk about the next uh, cocktail party or golf outing or poker that you do. And they're off the chart. Let's see. Tetration, heptation, pentation, octation. I can't remember the other tation. But if you can perform well above exponential, and it's mathematically proven, 
My question is, why would you want to do anything in your life in the incremental zone if the same time or less, same effort or less, same opportunity or less, same life or less could give you the ability to operate in the exponential zone? So that's one distinction. Another one, which is sort of interesting, I can give you a lot of them, but I'm going to run out of time, is that there is, in my opinion, an inherent flaw in the concept of best practices, because best mm. practices are really only the best practices from a given or a couple of given related industries. They are not necessarily the best practices available anywhere to outperform what that industry knows. Plus, in the beginning, if you're the first company business to learn, individual to learn that best practice, you have a short term advantage. But when everybody learns it, it goes from being a best practice to just a standard operating procedure, doesn't it? Yeah. And there's no advantage. And then you got to learn another one. Mm, I love this. You learn from outside. We have a concept I discovered and articulated 30 years ago. It's called funnel vision versus tunnel vision. vision. Yeah. Tunnel vision is what most people possess from the limited scope of, of business, job, life. And funnel vision is where you are hopelessly curious and you're obsessed with learning constantly about anything you can and not discriminating because you're not interested in it because so much of life has to do with people that aren't like you. The people you sell to, buy from, live next to, go to church with, work next to, they don't share all the same values. So the more you understand the broader scope, the more, again, ethical advantage. This is very interesting because we taught years ago that there are three three keys to, and there's lots of elements, but I mean, I keep saying, I'll leave you and I give you one more level, but there's, you know, we taught that you want to learn how to make irresistible offers, unbeatable propositions, and gain absolute ethical advantage. And I could stop there, but it would lose the magnitude. Epilogue is if you don't, what are you doing? You're making resistible offers, beatable propositions, and gaining disadvantage. So there's a provocative conclusion to this conversation. Jay. First and foremost, I appreciate all of this. This was absolutely incredible. I need to let you go. I never keep anyone longer than I'm supposed to, and I have done that now. So I just wanted to... I want to say thank you. I want to also ask you very quickly, do you have anything going on that we should let people know about? I'm already going to put socials, websites, all of that good stuff. What do you have going on that we should let people know about? We do, but it's, you know, my work is not inexpensive. I do private, long-term, masterful thinking and growth work people. It's six figures plus profit share and it's a three-year deal. I do $25,000 weekends that are integrative multimodality makeovers and they're all, but they're expensive. They're not for, you know, aspirants who don't really have deep pockets or a meaningful business to build on. But I do things, I mean, and we, you know, if you go online, you'll see tons of stuff that are freely disseminated. You know, I got you know, hours and hours of great video and old video, new video and stuff. But yeah, most of my work today is privately with companies. I like, I don't like being theoretical or academic. I like to have to deal with uh, scenario specific situations that need to be fixed or, or built or redone or untangled and it's much more stimulating. But yeah, those are the two areas that we do most of anymore. So I'm going to say this. I will one day be at one of those events. I can promise you that. I might not be there this year, but I promise you I will be there soon. Jay, 
expressing gratitude again. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You are the man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You have just tuned into episode number 276 of the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend, the absolute living legend himself, Jay Abraham. Now you could check Jay out in the show notes of this episode where you're going to be able to find his socials, his websites, the projects he has going on. Check that out in the show notes of this episode. Staying connected with an individual like Jay, as I'm sure you've heard within this episode, is essentially mandatory because this guy knows his stuff. I could have kept this conversation going on for much longer than what it was, but you got to respect people's time. So we're going to have to bring Jay back for a round two. On that note, there's a reason you're still listening to this episode though. I'm urging you to make sure you share it. If you didn't find this to be a value, you wouldn't still be tapped in with us right now, but you are tapped in and we can get the people that are in your life tapped in to receive the value that you just received from Jay and myself. So I'm urging you to share this with three people in your life, whether it be on social media, whether it be via DM, whether it be via word of mouth, whether it be via text message, share it with the people in your life. Let us know you're rocking with us. Tag us, do what you gotta do. We show the love right back and we wanna say thank you in advance. Express our gratitude for you and what you do to help us grow, to help us make an impact because without you, it wouldn't be possible. So I'm gonna shout you out give you your kudos, give you your flowers for showing up today, expressing that gratitude once more for the impact that you help us make. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.